Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. I'm Rob McLeod, joined as always by Brennan O'Leary, who will be with us today, but in just a moment. Unfortunately, Bren and I had a few audio issues with the first few minutes of this episode's recording, so he will be with us shortly. In this episode, we're going to talk about feedback and marking work in the mainstream school system. Now, if you don't know what the mainstream school system is, two suggestions. One, you can listen to the first couple minutes of any of our recent podcasts where we explain our three types of school model or go back to our 50th episode where we explain it in detail. If you are a returning listener, you've probably heard us go through this spiel many times, so we'll save it for you in this episode. So feedback and marking work in the mainstream school. We'll begin our discussion by comparing how it differs slightly from the traditional approach to feedback and marking work. Enjoy. In the traditional approach, This marking of work, the feedback, is based on correction. So you get feedback in order to correct things. In the mainstream approach, the basis here for feedback is improvement. Now, of course, those could be seen as two sides of the same coin, but the emphasis is on, in traditional, what you are not doing correct yet. And in the mainstream approach, it's kind of like, well, here's where you are. Here's your zone. We've found your zone of proximal development, and here's how we move you to the next little bit. And the coach, in this case, is giving you the feedback about, you know, what went well, what didn't, and what we do next. So let's just throw out a few of the buzzwords. If you're in probably most schools, you've heard feedback referred to in these kinds of ways. So feedback in a mainstream school should be immediate and ongoing or timely and ongoing. The idea that from the times the student does something, shows their learning, they should receive feedback quickly, and that feedback shouldn't be a one-off. It should be building on itself and ongoing. The feedback is also going to be focused on a learning objective. So maybe the traditional approach would be more holistic, and you might receive some feedback about a wide variety of areas. Within the mainstream school, you're going to have very focused feedback. There'll be a specific learning objective from the curriculum, and the feedback you're receiving is likely only related to that specific learning objective or cluster of learning objectives. In addition, like we said, we're talking about a coach approach to feedback here, so we're going to be discussing next steps. So it's not just you made some mistakes, but next steps Next time you do this, I want to see you try this. And often you'll you know, hear some variation of the two stars and a wish approach. So here are the two stars being two things you did well. Make sure you keep doing these. And here's my wish. Next time, this is the thing that you need to improve on. So there's this balance of positive reinforcement and offering up these next steps. As well, you're actually given the opportunity to apply this feedback. So there's an opportunity in the future or even immediately to take this feedback, go do the thing again or demonstrate the skill again in the same context or in a slightly different context. Could be the same activity or not. The idea is you're going to have the opportunity to immediately apply the feedback you've been given. And I'd say kind of finally with feedback, students can also be involved here. And students can actually set some learning aims. So it might be you do an assessment at the start of a unit and 
you know, let's say a student is 60% successful on the task. Well, they might set the goal, oh, by the end of this unit, I want to be 80%, whereas another student says 90% in whatever way that might look. And the student can actually set some learning aims and request specific feedback regarding their goals. So there's a little bit more autonomy in terms of the student's um, influence over what kind of feedback is given. Anything else to add to that, Brennan? Well, I think you've touched on it all, but you kind of you're teasing the part here in the mainstream that the marking of the work, as in um, taking it away and, and correcting the mistakes or pointing out which mistakes, is not the same as giving actionable feedback to somebody about what to do with those mistakes. And this was all kind of just implicit in the traditional mainstream, uh, traditional mindset. I would take your work, I would highlight what was wrong, you would know that that was wrong, and you would probably be asked to fix it. There, the assumption would be that you would know how to fix it probably, and because I taught you how to do this. And so the, that ties into the idea of the traditional ways of teaching, that it is somewhat rote sometimes and quite mechanistic. We get into more open-ended kind of ways to express ourselves a little bit into the mainstream so it, even that gets a little bit fuzzy as to if i just gave you your work back you might not necessarily know how to make it better but in writing a story for example like if i just gave you a story back with a few marks on the page Obviously, if they were about spelling or grammar, you could probably work it out. But we're looking at something a little bit deeper than that in the sense of how is the structure of the story? How are your descriptions unfolding and so on? You're going to want to have a conversation about that. And that's the idea of feedback, you know, kind of, you know, the metaphor of feedback is that you've done something and then it's giving you some information back. You do it, you do it again. And it's a, it's a loop. You're always uh, iterative. You're always getting better. And I don't think the traditional school views it that way. This individual task, I give you the task. It's either right or wrong. It's about accuracy. And the mainstream is saying, no, actually, it's about improvement. So every time you do it, I'm going to give you uh, more and more ways to improve. And that's that coach model as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a different mindset as well as a different set of practices. And that's why it's important now at this mainstream stage to to differentiate, to, 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 to talk about why this idea of feedback and the idea of marking work are both different. And what we're actually talking about, this idea of formative assessment. So in an upcoming week, we'll talk more about assessment. But at that point, we're kind of talking more about what we call summative. So the unit's finished and we're working out how well you've done. Summative assessment is when you're finished and when the whole thing's done and we want to see how far you've gone. What we're looking at here, this is called formative assessment. So it is ongoing. You're looking at how you have, how are you making progress? That feedback ties in to that idea because the idea is that, as you said, we're always going to come back to this or something like it so that you can actually use this. And that's very much again in the coaching model. So this idea of formative becomes very, very important. Formative assessment. It's ongoing. Every time we do something, we're going to come back to it. We're going to get better at it. And then we'll come into the idea next week a little bit more of summative assessments, which is wrapping up at the end of a unit or something to see how well you've done.
Um, but in a mainstream school, marking and feedback are part of assessment as much as they're part of teaching. And I think in a traditional school, they're probably just viewed really as part of the teaching, part of the lesson. And it's only the test at the end that really we consider part of assessment. If I was to try to make a complete straw man and totally oversimplify this, you could still make a case that a traditional teacher does use diagnostic, formative, and summative, but they just approach it completely differently. And they aren't approaching them on an individual student-by-student level like we're referring to here in the mainstream approach, where like you would do a diagnostic assessment on each student to find where each student has started the unit. Let's use something that's a little bit more easy to quantify, like reading level. So we do a reading assessment. We've got a scale from A to Z. A is the easiest. Z's the most difficult. And we can see we've got students all across the alphabet in terms of their starting point. Well, then the formative assessments in the mainstream approach come looking at where the kid started and then what the next steps are to push them along towards the goal. And then summative would be, yes, some kind of final test assessment sort of piece, which will be more standardized to say, well, this was the curricular aim by the end of the unit. Some of you already started above it. Some of you were way behind it. Some of you, this was in the zone, but this is your summative assessment. Traditional teachers will still use those things. There's often a class discussion at the start of a unit to see what everybody already knows about this, these kinds of things, but they're not being done on the student by student level. They're being done on the whole group level with less attention towards differentiation and more attention towards can a more holistic one-size-ish-fits-all approach work for this group? And I'm going to, as the master, customize the depth or the breadth or the width, <laughs> more synonyms for the same things, uh, of the content, of the process, of the products to ensure that no one is left behind. And I think that's a difference. A traditional teacher will have heard what we just described and say, oh, I'm doing that. But it's being done in very different ways. Traditional is more a whole group thing. And in the mainstream school, it moves to a student-by-student student basis. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing to get in in our minds when we're talking about the feedback and marking in a mainstream school. It has a very specific purpose to, to, to help us to get to the next step. And the mainstream school, as you're saying there, it doesn't have one place that everybody needs to go it acknowledges where people are at on this particular continuum where people are at and how we can move them forward now of course we'll get into this argument when we get into more standardized testing uh, discussions in the next few weeks that is a one-size-fits-all and that's the criticism of standardized assessment but we're looking at the day-to-day -day stuff where the teachers giving work to students and here's something that isn't isn't totally intuitive but research seems to back it up that peer moderated work and self moderated work the research suggests that it is more helpful than um 
if if you are given feedback from a teacher or no feedback at all. So I just read this. This is from an educational psychology review uh, back uh, in 2020 by Double McGrain and Hopfenbeck. Peer assessment is more effective than no assessment, and and more effective than teacher assessment, and it's not significantly different in its effect from self-assessment. So you getting your own work back and seeing what your strengths and weaknesses are your peer doing it is is proven to be more effective than your teacher taking your work now i haven't looked into when we get into conferring models that i want to talk about a little bit so the one-to-one -one discussion where you dig in with a teacher now it doesn't really mention whether that's more effective i think it's talking about the traditional the teacher takes your work marks it gives it back they're saying essentially that's as effective as doing nothing. So basically, the kid does their work, they put the work in a drawer, they get it back out in the next lesson and move on to the next page. That's kind of mind-blowing. You know, you might be skeptical about the data, please look into this yourself for sure, but this suggests um, that give the work to the kid, give the work to some peer, peers, you, you're going to have a more effective growth than what would have been done traditionally and what is still done in most schools. If we're looking at the marking and how the marking is being done as well, contrasting the more traditional approach of, yeah, taking the books, making notes, check marks, X's, colored, colored, the color of pens is a really hot topic in traditional schools, like the color coding system, um, or even, you know, a more traditional teacher might have a series of coded shorthand for things. You know, if it's an S, it's sentence structure. If it's um, whatever, it's punctuation, these sorts of things. So, you know, it, it the straw man version is there's checks and Xs in the traditional approach. What we see evolve, though, in the more mainstream approach is the actual transparency around marking, especially when it gets to something beyond, let's say, binary yes no right wrong answers let's move away from something like math where yes there you know two plus two is four george orwell um these kinds of things um when we get into these woollier things like you mentioned story writing or even just a skill-based task we move into this world of rubrics where we actually delineate what gets you an a versus a b versus a c and we try to make our marking transparent the traditional teacher knows how they're marking and why they're marking. But at the end of the day, when the student just sees, oh, I got a C on my work, they may not be able to piece together why they got the C. Whereas in a mainstream school, this sh should essentially be completely transparent and basically stated and obvious. You got a C because of this, what you did, and here are our criteria for this skill and for this skill and for this. And even if it is, you know, something more simple like a spelling test or math thing, it should at least be, or it often is transparent on the actual test question itself, or it might say something like, well, you get half a mark for having the correct word and half a mark for the correct spelling. So that if there are some random X's showing up on the page, you know what that is referring to and you're not losing marks for something else that is not listed. You know, we talked a little bit there about rubrics and tests. And of course, we 
said that that kind of comes into more of the summative end of the unit stuff, but it actually doesn't really matter when it happens. I work in IB school and what they've kind of moved away over the last few years is talking about formative and summative. So whether it's something you're doing ongoing during the unit or whether it's a test or an assessment at the end of the unit is less relevant than what you're trying to assess and how you do it and the feedback that you that you give somebody. So, you know, the drawback of doing an assessment or a test at the end of a unit is that often you can't use that information. Whereas as you're ongoing, you can use it, especially in this called spiral curriculum idea where things come back quite often, you know, year after year, term after term. Um, but I think the, the conferring model I'm going to talk about now still is less common in, in many schools. It's best, it's come out of something called the Reader's Writer's Workshop of uh, Columbia University. It's been around a a good couple of decades at this point and it's taken hold in a lot of places but I'd say especially in England it's not super common but what it does is it puts um, it, it is very much in line with the mainstream kind of mentality and I think it will over you know a period of time it will kind of win out in the sense that it works on this premise that you're marking your own work and you're looking at what you are doing well, whether it's a story writing or, you know, writing a persuasive essay or whatever. You're looking at what you do well. You're peer marking it with um, ongoing. Every day, every few sessions, you're reading it with yourself, with your peers. And then you're doing this thing called conferring where you sit one-to-one -one with a teacher. It's only five minutes, but that five minutes is very valuable. In five minutes, you can have a pretty good conversation about a piece of work, a piece of writing that's only like a page long or whatever, or a couple of pages. You can really dig in. And, I, and, and that's a, a totally different paradigm than what you would see in the traditional and very much in line with the coach model of the um, mainstream. Some people think it's kind of moving progressive, but actually if you think about you're not really counseling the person in their work. You're actually, you're coaching them because you're looking at the skills they use and how they can get better at it. I mean, we, we can get into the ins and outs of what those things might mean, but you're essentially sitting down with a kid for five minutes, coaching them about how to get better in their work. And you're asking for their opinion and you're asking for them very much to be able to give themselves stars and wishes or next steps and celebrating the good as well as the next step. So it's, um, I'm, I'm expecting and hoping it to become more embedded in mainstream uh, um, teaching and learning because it, it fits with any subject. Right now, reading and writing is what you'd find it most commonly, but it is a really um, fundamentally um, different idea. Maybe the two of us could share what it looks like in our classrooms just for anyone who's not familiar with the conferring model, so you can kind of like get to the theater of the mind on this one. For me, if I've got five minutes with a student and we're conferring over a piece of writing, we're very much in coach mode here because there's some sort of curriculum objective I'm referring to, or a cluster of curriculum objectives with their piece of work. There's maybe an objective about their organization of a story and maybe a punctuation objective and maybe um, a sentence structure or a tense um, these sorts of things. The students have the rubric ahead of time. 
They know exactly how their final piece is going to be marked. So we know as we're coaching along the way what all the little goals are that we're working on. Student sits down for five minutes. They've got the rubric with them. They've got their piece of work with them. And typically the first thing I ask is like, what are you working on as a writer? And the first few times you ask that, it's vague answers. But after time, the students direct their attention towards what our learning goals are, what's on the rubric, and they say, oh, I want feedback about this thing. So it might be, you know, the organization of my ideas in my story. Do I have a clear, you know, setup to the problem and solution? And then I'll say, okay, you know, like we've got five minutes, which part do you want me to look at? And the student has prepared for this. They're not just all of a sudden, oh, I don't know, here. They're walking in with targeted, clear things that they want feedback in. They'll say, okay, well, I want to look at this. So I'll say, hey, read it to me. They'll read a few sentences, whatever. And I lead the entire thing as best as I can with questions. And I'll say, okay, well, how did you try to do X? And X is our writing objective with direct reference to the rubric. And they'll say this, this, and this. And I might ask something like, well, does that sound like it's more like an A, a B, or a C based on the criteria of the rubric? Well, I think it's more like C. Okay, well, what could you do to move up to B? What needs to change here? And again, this, you know, this blurs a line to a counselor because I'm, I'm leading with questions. I'm not offering, oh, you need to do X and do this. And when you go back, do this. But I'm using questions for them to come to the conclusions about next steps. And if there is anything that is totally unclear, of course, I will step in. But I will use questions to the best of my ability. And then in, towards the end of the five minutes, basically say, okay, so what are your goals? What are the, you know, the one or two things or three things you're going to do when you go back now to, to write? And what are you going to ask your peer for feedback on when you sit with them? Because you're going to see them before you're going to see me. And I make sure that it's really actionable, clear things that they can do. And then they're off. And that, that's what the five yeah. minutes of conferring looks like. And it's a full five minutes. And you're, if you're sitting there thinking, Rob, you, you're just talking to the kid. Um, partially, it's absolutely true. But think, how often does that happen in, in most of the classrooms that you're imagining or, or, or in? And how valuable can it be? And sure, there's logistical um, challenges to getting five minutes with each kid. If you're in there by yourself and there's 30 kids, I am not saying that that's always easy but you know spreading it over timetables doing it often having peer uh, teaching kids how to do kind of peer conferences as well and i'll just give a little bit of an idea how they might that look with a, a younger kid because you know what you described there is absolutely fine you know middle school kid definitely is having those conversations but you know we're having these conversations with with six-year-olds and seven-year-olds they come up with their their drawings of their their story we give them a storyboard and they'll draw three pictures or six pictures that make a story together and then they'll begin to draft we use a writing cycle right so they'll begin to take their plans and put some sentences underneath each picture same thing we bring over we say hey you know tell me about what you're working on right now oh i'm, I'm writing a story okay which part of the story are you working on oh this part towards the middle okay tell me a little bit about it is it what makes this a good story oh it's exciting oh yeah what's exciting about the story well you know the boy is kind of like lost oh okay and so you know how does he feel oh well he feels kind of like sad and you you kind of lead this and then you say okay well you know how could you make this story better 
And yeah, like you say, there might be some blank looks the first few times, vague answers, but little by little, the kids will say, add details. And then you're like, what kind of details? And then little by little, we get into feeling words, uh, big actions, uh, talking between people, um, and, and then you dig into it. And this is why it's an ongoing process. So we do it across the six years of grade one to six. And so kids are doing this week in, week out over six years. And the idea is you become more able to have that, what we call metacognition, thinking about thinking, thinking about your next steps, understanding that you have some say in it, you make choices and that your teacher is supporting you in that. So logistically tricky, but very much in line with the mainstream approach of coaching and getting better based on criteria. This may not seem like news to you or I, or to many people listening, but I know for some people, this is a big paradigm shift within the mainstream approach to assessment and marking. Assessments are evidence of what students can do and not focused on what they can't do. So the idea in the mainstream approach is we're looking to see what the students can do. With what they can do, how close are they to our goal and objective? This isn't a matter of what can't they do and penalize them for it. It's what can they do. And I think our last point, Brendan, maybe from your curriculum coordinator uh, perspective, you could touch on this, the idea that assessments can be differentiated. Yeah, we've talked about differentiation a lot, and that's something that comes in very much in a mainstream school, the idea that not everybody has to have the same process to get to an end point. And not everybody has to make the same thing. So some people might write a story while others make a poster and others might make a a dance, for example, depending on how much, you know, every diff, every school and school system will, will have guidelines or, you know, leadership models on how much scope you can give the kids. But they don't all have to do the same process. They don't all have to make the same product or thing. And there's many, many other ways that you can differentiate as well for giving people more time. And some of these things, when you get into standardized assessments, you know, proper kind of like the kind of tests that you'll take to get you a, some certification or whatever. If you're going to have any kind of modifications, as we call them, you've got to go through a, a special needs process and, and have doctor's certificates and, and, and so on. But even for these day-to-day formative feedback things, I assess how often I speak. So the kid who's, who's uh, new to the school, I might talk to them twice as much as I talk to the kid who's, um, who's been here for several years. I won't neglect that other kid. I'll make sure I get to them as much as possible, but I'm probably going to talk to the, the kid with the, the higher needs a little bit more. And so things like that, how often you talk, um, your expectations, of course, and this is very much into, in line with the mainstream. When I'm giving feedback or when I'm talking to somebody about their next steps, I'm going to give everybody the next step. Of course, I wouldn't. Not everybody is at the same place. And there's multiple different ways they can go. And so it's about listening. It's about having that model inside your own head as a teacher and knowing what are some of the ways that can go. And yes, sometimes... You know, one of the strawmen that we say of the traditional is that it's always going to be um, about the accuracy of their spelling, their grammar, punctuation and so on. 
that is an important part and that might be some of the feedback we give and some of the next steps but equally it could be about description it could be about organization or these other things we call the six traits of writing and other things so yes when i'm sitting down giving feedback or even a more um, summative style assessment end of unit assessment there's many many different ways and it's it's seen as a positive that we differentiate because it, it allows everybody to make progress from where they are at. Yeah, and I think the last point I would add to that is the idea that certain feedback might be more effective or more efficient at different times. So something like the writing cycle of getting ideas, drafting them, revising them, editing, publishing, Yes, of course, you know, we, we definitely can talk about spelling, but if the student's knee-deep in the process of developing their ideas and organizing them, to focus on the feedback of spelling then might actually inhibit their ability to fully flesh out and develop their ideas. So, yes, we will mark spelling, but we're not marking spelling until four weeks from now. Right now, we're focused on idea development, because if we're at the start of the process and we spend all the time on spelling now and then have to catch up by improving the ideas four weeks from now, it's less likely to be as successful of a piece of writing. So this idea that certain feedback is more strategic, more effective, more efficient at different times, I think is uh, one of the positives of this. Let me jump on this for a second because this highlights something we've spoken about a lot in terms of a mindset towards mistakes or errors or next steps, challenges, whatever you want to call them, a traditional um, school would, they, there's a belief that bad habits are hard to shake. And there's some, there's really some truth in that. So the belief is in a traditional school, generally, if you see a bad habit, you see a mistake, you correct it. This is a different mindset in the mainstream. We're not going to correct a mistake that is not stopping us from moving forward in this particular direction. If we're looking at the organization of a text and the spelling is not stopping us from moving forward, we're not going to ignore it. We're going to put it to one side until it is the right time to look at it. I think that's a different approach. It does allow you to break things down and analyze them more and then put them back together but it does run the risk from a traditional mindset of building bad habits. We'll come to some babies in bathwaters later a little bit, but that's. I'm interested to hear if someone's listening to that, how they kind of perceive this idea of letting mistakes go by, acknowledging them, but, but saying we're not going to do anything about them right now. I think that's the perfect cue to transition over to babies in bathwaters, or is there anything we've missed? That's, that's a lot, but this is a big, big area and um, something we're pretty interested and passionate about. But what is good about the way mainstream schools do their feedback and marking this formative style assessment? So the things that are new that they are bringing to the table or simply evolving from the traditional approach, they're taking feedback and they're making it specific and it, as we were just saying, prioritizes the most important or the most relevant criteria for student success. So again, like everything in the mainstream approach to school, we're filtering this down to what's most effective and what's most efficient. And within the mainstream approach, there's this idea of we want to 
maximize student learning. We wish to maximize student achievement. So the feedback that we're giving will prioritize what is the most important and the most relevant criteria for a student's zone of proximal development. In addition to that, we're trying to make our process clear to the student, and we're providing transparency on every level. The curriculum document, you can find it on the school website. All of our aims are made clear. All of our intentions are out there. All of the feedback we're giving to you is within this reference of nothing we're doing here is witchcraft. None of this is taking your work and then going behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz and coming back you know, from my all-powerful position. I need, if I mark anything of your work, I need to be able to explain exactly how I did it, how you got to a final mark, all of these sorts of things. Everything needs to be transparent. And we're giving the students a clear vision with our learning aims of where you are going. So it's not just that I'm making it transparent, but it's like trying to imbue this with purpose. Like we're doing this because we're getting here. This is where we are going. And here's where you are in your journey of a thousand steps. This is exactly where you are within this. As you say, you know, you get that feedback about exactly where you are and and what you're doing well, keep doing it, keep getting better at that, keep improving for yourself within this framework. The, the feedback is neutral in the sense that any, of course, we have to use our contextual knowledge about the student to some degree, but we, as much as possible, we look at the work in and of itself and we look at objectively what would make this work better? And the feedback is there. Now, the type of feedback will depend on how much you know the student and where their areas of strength are. But the work itself, essentially, I could take it, Rob could take it, any other number of teachers could give it, and we'd give a similar type of feedback to begin with. Um, what that does is it evaluates the work and not the student, and so that gives us that objectivity, which the mainstream is looking to uh, use so you can compare things then you can build on things and this allows it to be done with anonymity if you want to so the work can be marked by peers who don't give you um you don't know who they are you can mark it by several people and you can get these opinions and you can get this feedback and that's absolutely valid because it doesn't matter who does the feedback because you as the student also get to decide which parts of those feedback you're going to um, utilize. And again, because it's going to come back, if you make some wise choices, some good choices about which of the feedback you use, your work's going to become better based on the criteria, and that'll keep working. If, for example, you get a bunch of feedback and you don't take it on board or you don't kind of listen to it, that will become part of the conversation the next time around. Okay, so, you know, we got this feedback here or how you can go there. So it's kind of, it's not a one shot thing. You get, it's iterative, it keeps coming back and it gives you the chance to look at what's working and build on that. Um, and that goes into that, that coaching model, the coach, you know, there, there are coaches who act more like the master and they know exactly what to do, but and they tell you exactly each step, but as things become more complex, as we move into a mainstream world that has many, many more options, the coach has to weigh up alongside the athlete or the student, what is best? What are we going to use? And so the coach is in it. They're making decisions based on this feedback. They're helping you. They're not going to some set 
um, answer that they have in their head somewhere or from their experience they're using it's more about application using what you know and then kind of um, helping your student to improve yeah and it's an incredible new set of skills to move from the master who knows how to do this into the mainstream coach who can break it down almost like to an engineering level to explain how they assess and to be able to make it transparent. So to be able to do this and be able to explain all the mechanisms and machinery that went into how we mark, how we measure, what we're measuring, all of these things. This is, this is a new level of metacognitive skills as well for the teacher too. One of the other beautiful things from this, you were explaining it so well, was the conferencing model. So being able to confer with students. This idea, yeah, that the feedback is most effective and efficient when it's done in dialogue, in conversation, in a shared inquiry together. Not only that, we didn't really touch on this part, but also just the deepening of relationship that that allows. Now, of course, all of us have relationships with all of our students, even if we are more traditionally minded and at the front of the room and kind of talking to the whole group or even small groups at a time. But there's something completely different about sitting one-on-one with a student and discussing their work with your full attention on it, their full attention on you, there, there is just a way of getting to know students in that way that can't be replicated in a larger group or even whole class kind of approach. And yeah, just having that time introduces something new that wasn't previously available. It's a different relationship because there's a relationship work based around the work. So, you know, I was a swimmer. My, my coach didn't know me personally that well but he knew my swimming stroke like he he really knew how i could improve at swimming and of course as a teacher you play all of these roles you you need to have that that social emotional relationship with your students that support one but what we're talking about here is a slightly different relationship which doesn't really exist as much in the traditional school of an ongoing dialogue and and kind of feedback loop uh, based around improving specific um, criteria-based work. Yeah, and I think that's kind of our last point as well, is just this idea of benchmarks and norm referencing, that not only does your coach or your master know these things, but they are doing their best to reveal the path towards improvement for you. And this idea that, you know, for all of the shortcomings and challenges and difficulties that things like standardized assessments bring to the mix one thing that they do bring is like you know universal or at least national or at least provincially or regionally or state by state measuring sticks whether you're in belgium or japan a meter stick is a meter stick and there's going to be 100 centimeters in the meter stick this idea that there are as close as we can come to a objective standards or objective ways to measure these things and it's not just up to the whims of the master and apprentice it's not up to the expertise of individuals it is something that can be decentralized and shared across a team of teachers within a school or within a board or within a 
province or the entire world for that matter. It's nuanced. And so there is an expertise in the sense of the teacher being able to navigate the framework of the curriculum, but knowing that framework is is absolutely vital. And it is a framework. It's not a series of linear steps. It's, it's something that... Um, you know, you get into the application of these skills very much more in the mainstream. Um, so is it time to move on to the bathwater, the things that maybe some of the other schools might not like about mainstream approaches? Let's do it. So one thing that the traditional school might say is that because the the mainstream is is using what they say the letter of the law it's all written down and you're trying to be as specific and as an idea as closely to your definition your criteria the tra- traditional school might say well it doesn't really work like that like like i we talked about earlier it's like yeah you you might say that this is important to focus on right now before you start but actually i need to be able to veto this and actually say what is important and of course, you can do that on a day-to-day level in terms of your conferences or your lessons. Once you get more into the assessment idea and, and you codify things more into rubrics and mark schemes and things like that, it becomes much, much harder to um, veto or to change it. And, and it's actually seen as, you know, kind of not, not a good move to be changing an assessment in the middle of it because it's no longer objective and the mainstream is looking for this objectivity the traditional would be skeptical of, of that objectivity and being locked into that mechanical criteria they might you know the, the you can't always pin it down you have to as the master be able to decide what's important at any given time and maybe the student doesn't need to know it all ahead of time maybe they just need to trust the master and the their teacher will let them know what is um, important when it becomes an issue and, and similarly you know this idea in mainstream of two stars and a wish or whatever is something you'll hear a lot we want to give two and we talked about this about how many uh, how much praise you need to give in terms of before you criticize somebody and it's something like seven to one and the seven pra- seven piece of praise to, to one criticism and the, the mainstream takes that into account too you want to give two or three positives to every change there may be that the the traditional school would say well we're not going to focus on what they're doing right we're going to do, help them to get better by fixing their mistakes there isn't always a an obvious star or a set of stars and you don't always help people by giving them all of these positive things before you tell them what to change because they might get confused they might miss what you're trying to help them to change um and so they, they may have some skepticism about that area too as well as the amount of extra time it takes to do these kind of like one-to-one sessions it's, it's huge and i'd say one of the most difficult things is as someone who's coordinating um you know the, the six classes that are implementing this is is really trying to get that conferring model up and running like ongoing is it takes a lot of setup it takes a lot of time a lot of logistics to actually have all of the adults in the room meeting with these kids on an ongoing basis so um a traditional teacher will be more skeptical maybe of the use of that time and to go back a point or so ago 
to the challenges of the mainstream teacher making all of these things transparent. Something as simple as a rubric. I'm saying that with a wry smile on my face. A mainstream teacher constructs a rubric. They might even test it with a few pieces of student work. You think this looks solid. I've stated all my objectives. I've stated what success looks like. I've stated the variation, the gradients of, of expectations. This is lockstep. I'm, this is my assessment tool. This is my meter stick. All student work will be run through this. And to me, it's like a coding analogy. It's like if you're coding some kind of program, looks perfect. This logically makes sense. Then all of a sudden you go and you sit down and you actually try to use it. And then there's an error in the code. Or with the rubric, a piece of student work shows up that hacks your rubric, that actually gets a much better, quote unquote, better mark than it should have based on these certain criteria. Or you realize your engineering of the rubric left it open to this kind of misinterpretation which was not obvious until one or two or the entire class's piece of evidence are before you. And yeah, according to the letter of the law, you were the one who engineered it. You had showed it to the students ahead of time. You can't really change this mid-course. Of course you can, but if you do, it is pointing out a shortcoming in your own coaching ability to engineer these kinds of assessments. And quite often, I have seen either errors in the development of a rubric or just faulty or bad rubrics used as evidence from a traditional teacher that we shouldn't go down this road of transparency because a bad rubric ends up being miscalibrated and gives potentially poor feedback and an incorrect, quote-unquote, incorrect mark at the end of the day because of the faulty measuring tool. And it's much more effective, safer, and as you were alluding to, flexible to leave this in the master's hands. Because otherwise, now you're, you're adherent to this thing that you've made as opposed to just you yourself. And it strikes me that after listening to all of the good things, you now might be like, well, that makes sense too. And it's all about putting that into practice. But if you want to build a system where you do have that trust and you can hand over some of that, the ability to have metacognition and, and build up your own skills as a student, you have to kind of go the mainstream route. If you continue to go with the master and apprentice route, you, you, you're only ever going to have the students need to go through you for all of that information. Um, now that's oversimplifying because the idea is that at some point the apprentice becomes the master but we're talking about in terms of the mainstream school this idea if you're in junior high school or high school handing over these kind of ideas to you very much in line with the mainstream idea of becoming competent becoming more uh, able to individually make progress and help yourself and then turn that to the help of your team so i guess it, it's all about where you're coming from yourself as to whether these how much of these things resonate with you so we've looked at some traditional critiques if we flip over to the progressive critique of this mainstream approach to feedback and marking 
we can look at what, Brendan? One criticism a progressive teacher would, would say that you're not centered really on what the student can do. You're saying this is about you helping the student and giving them feedback to get better. But, and this is an argument we use regularly. You're still locking them into what you want to do as a representative of the system, whether that's the government or, or whether that is the, uh, the the local system or whatever. Whatever educational system you are representing as a teacher, your criteria is locking the students into that rather than having a meaningful discussion about where they could go with their work. We've, we've talked a little bit. This does blur the line. You know, you're sitting with a student and they do genuinely have some say in where they go with their work but it's still a story and it's still these five criteria that you probably the teacher or with the kids decided upon uh, so you're limiting their options with inside the framework and that would be uh, no, that wouldn't really fly with a progressive teacher they say why why would you need to put all of these constraints on why can't you open up further and further and further so that it's, it becomes a um, meaningful discussion about progress at every step of the way and, and really looking at the many ways that you, you can go. And also the fact that you're kind of putting it into practice so that it has to happen every week or on this particular timeline. You're pushing it and maybe you want to wait for that intrinsic uh, kind of desire to, to, to come up or if through your, your more open conversations, you begin to work out the direction the student wants to go and you can help them, you know, as a progressive educator, you can make suggestions and, and kind of lead them in certain directions or, or help them to go in certain directions. But a progressive teacher would say like, all of this kind of stuff that you've got, really, you're just locking them into a framework you already have. So it's kind of, it's it's a false sense of, freedom if i can pop my own balloon from earlier when i was walking through the vision of what my conference looks like which again i'm i fully support this conference model but it's a mainstream approach to the conferencing model everything that i said was not me was not the student was about their work and was about their work in relationship to curriculum objectives so every one of my questions is framed within that context. It's like, hey, you didn't have a say whether or not we're doing stories for the next eight weeks. We are. And within that, these are the like five or six curriculum objectives that are showing up as benchmarks I need to hit to prove I'm doing my job. And within those, we've discussed how to split those up to look at different varying levels of success and progress within them. And I've given you the rubric and our entire conversation is centered around your work and what's on this rubric and what you're going to do next in relationship to this rubric. It was never, what should we do for the next eight weeks? Do you guys even want to do stories? What about stories are you interested in doing? Hey, what larger communicative goals might you have in relationship to these things that would be meaningful for us to spend five minutes together talking through. So again, it's this idea of like the mainstream school, one of its drawbacks is you've got to play the games that are within the arcade and you can play them really well. But, you know, we go back to this coach athlete analogy. It's like, well, you're going to the Olympics and when you show up to the Olympics, this is what you're going to have to do. So we're training you for the next four years to get ready for that. And if you're motivated or interested in something that's outside that, we can entertain it. But this is the priority. 
No, you're right, and it, it, this comes back so many times in the in the um, progressive critique of the mainstream is that you're not really giving meaningful choice, and because you're not really giving meaningful choice, how can you expect meaning to be there? How can you expect purpose? How can you expect intrinsic motivation and drive? if you're not fostering that, if that's not what you're about. So yeah, it could be that a kid centers on stories and that's their passion. But it also could be that they're riding a dirt bike or working on uh, some kind of visual arts. And yeah, of course, as we get more into the critiques of the progressive education, there's drawbacks to that too, surprise, surprise. But the progressive criticism of the mainstream approach is why don't you give them some actual freedom rather than telling them that they have freedom and choice and also to break down the sense of urgency or need of a calendar even for myself to pull off being an effective mainstream teacher doing this conferring model i'm trying to meet with the students as often as i possibly can and there is a certain pressure or urgency put on the student of like, hey, you know, today is your five minutes. We need to get the most out of this. I think the progressive educator would bring in, you know, some of the intrinsic motivation you're talking about and, you know, just say like there are seasons to things. And although I might be bringing this sense of like having to maximize the most of this conference, it's like, dude, this might not be the day or even the week. This isn't how life works. You're not always on 10 there you know there has to be an ebb, ebb and flow there has to be a balance of of work and rest and just because you know my name happens to be on your list and today is our conference day doesn't mean <laughs> that your feedback is even meaningful to me in relationship to this work regardless of how kind-hearted or well-intentioned it might be time is the most hidden but most influential part of mainstream education. Everything is on a calendar. Everything is on a time. And as soon as you start to look at that, I mean, when I say hidden, everyone knows that. It's not, it's not a secret, but it's the thing that is the hardest to change because it is so embedded so deeply in everything. Sure, we talk about differentiation. You can give some kids more time or harder work, or, but you can't really change the time of the year, of the entire year, of your lessons, of your units. Your flexibility in that is very limited. And of course, the progressive educator would really question whether that serves the individual human and through extension, the community. But we shall get to that more and more in future days. Anything else? I think that was a lot. If you're still with us and if this is of interest, please feed back and tell us what you think. Reinventing Education Podcast at gmail.com. Give us a rating also out of five. Mark us out of five. How good was this episode? Exactly. Or even better, give us some meaningful and actionable feedback and smiley faces. We don't, we've no problem with the odd smiley faces. We'll, well find out. But uh, thanks. We'll find Rob. out the podcast rubric for how to do good good podcasts we'll give that to you when you're providing feedback with us for five minutes exactly so next time around we are moving on to the idea more solidly of assessment and i guess we're talking more about what in a traditional school would be testing and um 
in mainstream school is still very heavily testing, but we call it assessment and grading. And it uh, has big implications for the future of mainstream students. Well, thanks for your time, Robert. I enjoyed the chat. Thanks for your time. Thanks to everyone who's still with us. Thanks for listening in this long. We appreciate your your time and attention. You know, that focus is... Uh, and your, and your candor. Oh, yeah, that as well. Very shrewd of you to say that. Bye. Thanks, Brendan.